Open your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. We have been tracking through the Sermon on the Mount and we're sort of nearing the end of it. Read with me verses 7 through 11. Follow along. As ask, he says, and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if he asks his son for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask Him? Let's pray and ask God to open our eyes to this passage. Father, we do come into this passage with humility, knowing that uh, if it isn't for your Spirit sort of moving through us, uh, these really become nothing more than just ink on paper, words that we're reading. Um, We need your Spirit to quicken us, to enliven us, uh, to, to, to hear this, to even understand what Jesus is saying here, uh, much less put it into practice into our lives. And so, God, uh, we ask that you convict us, that you open us up, that we, that we hear and see the meaning of this passage, and that you do something in our hearts, that we, that we uh, look to Christ, that we see Christ as our treasure, and that our lives are changed this morning. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So check this out. Look at this line in verse, verse 7 right there. Ask, and it will be given. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Martin Lloyd-Jones, the pastor in Wales in, in, in London, in the early 20th century, said this. He said, I cannot imagine a better, more cheering, or more comforting statement to face all the uncertainties and hazards of life in this world than what's contained in these verses. This is like huge. Ask, seek, knock, and it will be given. The door will be open. It reminds us of another verse in 1 John This is the confidence that we have toward Him. If we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. So then here, as if Jesus needs to state it again and even strengthen the statement and broaden it, He repeats it in verse 8. Look at verse 8 with me. For everybody, everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened to them. Now, the Bible is the most realistic book that I've ever come across. So, like, I've read a few books, and nothing speaks to sort of the world that we live in um, and gives hope to the world that we live in, more so than this book right here. Uh, There's nothing pretending about the Bible. There's no sense of, like, you can sort of achieve some kind of like utopia and, and not have to deal with life's problems. Or if you pray this way or think this way, then you're just going to be, everything's going to change. Uh, no issues in life. No, the Bible at the, at the center, at the very core of the biblical message is this. It's that life is a journey. That life is an unexpected journey. That we're sort of going through life and we don't actually know what tomorrow holds. So there's nothing pretending about the Bible. It doesn't pretend that we're not going to have problems in life. It actually says, no, you will. Like, there's going to be suffering in life. Like, you don't know what tomorrow will hold, and it's very, very possible that tomorrow actually could hold suffering for you. We don't know. We're going through this journey, and we don't know what's next. When uh, Jaden was about four years old, we were living over on the eastern shore in a barn on a river. It was like this picturesque little thing. And uh, it, at nighttime, it would be dark. Like there, was, there were no city lights at all. And so I'm talking like dark. Like the moon was the brightest thing that, 
we could see. On a dark night, I uh, remember I walked out of our barn with four-year-old Jaden, and we were going to walk across to the neighbor's house. And so we're walking into the dark, all right? And I'm holding her hand as we're kind of walking. As, as we uh, walk out of the glow of the porch light and into the darkness, I feel her, her grip tighten just a bit. And then the more we walk into the darkness, the tighter her grip gets. Now, listen, she wasn't freaking out. We were talking. She was walking boldly, one foot in front of another, no sense of hesitation, complete confidence, yet gripping the heck out of my hand, right? Now, picture this. This is a four-year-old walking in the dark. Now, all little kids are afraid of the dark much less to walk in the dark. You can't see where you're going. Yet walking with confidence each step of the way. Why? Because she knew whose hand she was holding, right? That changed everything for her. If she had to do it by herself, it would have been a different story. You see, the Bible gives us a picture of life as it is. We don't know what's next in our journey. We don't know what tomorrow holds. You're going through a time of suffering right now. We don't know how that's going to end. We don't know when it's going to end. But all along the Bible, we have, all throughout the Bible, we have these statements like this, which remind us, which reminds Paul, I think, when Paul the Apostle said that he has no reason for discouragement in this world, no reason for shame, because I know whom I believed, he said. These extremely comforting and encouraging and promising statements that remind us that as we are sort of journeying through this life, we don't know what's in the dark, we, don't, we can't see what's coming, we know whose hand we're holding. As the old hymn says, we know who holds tomorrow. Ask, seek, knock. I'm here, he's saying. Do you guys get that? Do you get how, like, amazing that is? Or that First John verse that I quoted? Whatever you ask in his will, he hears it. And then John goes on and he says, if we know that he hears it in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. That's, like, huge. Why don't we do that more, right? I mean, we've been given these promises. Ask and you'll find it. Or ask and you'll receive it. Seek and you'll find it. Knock and it'll be open. Whatever you ask according to his will, you will receive it. This is like, think of the most powerful person you can imagine, sort of in your sphere of life, all right? Whatever you do, whatever you like, music, job, the most powerful, most influential person. Let's just say, everybody got somebody in, your, in their mind? We got somebody there? Somebody shout out who you're thinking of. Is nobody participating in this exercise? Influential person here, nobody? Mandela. Who? Mandela. Oh, Nelson Mandela? At least I said Pandela. I'm like, I don't know Pandela, but all right. <laughs> Nelson Mandela. Okay, so somebody like Nelson Mandela, all right? You, you meet him. And he says, listen, I like you. And here's my email, my cell phone. And uh, you you have an open invitation to come to my door, the door of my house, and knock. And every time you knock, I will open it and see what you want. Imagine we had that kind of invitation, and then we actually never follow up with Mr. Mandela right? It's kind of weird if you think about it. Like, when I get an invitation, like someone with like this much influence, when they give me that kind of like green light, I'm like emailing the heck out of them like, remember me? You said I could email you. So I'm doing it just to say hi. Listen, this is the God of this universe, the creator of this universe, the king, saying, you have access into my kingdom 
And you can knock on the door of my throne room, and every time you knock, the door will be opened to you. And whatever you ask, according to my will, I am just, I want to give it to you. I want to shower you with good things. And then we just forget to pray. I want to encourage us. This is sort of my goal. My goal this morning is that we see the beauty and the wonder that we have been given through prayer. And that we are encouraged by the fact that as we are walking through this dark journey and we truly don't know what's next and there, there are things that are scary that you're facing right now, you know whose hand you're holding. And I want you to know the promises that he's given us along the way. Now, first, we need to start off with, with this um, broad statement. Or maybe a que- I'll put this in the form of a question. Does this mean that we get, everybody gets, whatever they ask for? So if I ask for it, and maybe if I pray with enough faith, then I, I get it from God. You see, this cannot be taken out of context from the Sermon on the Mount. And people do this, all right? We take this along with last week's passage on judging others in the same way we pull it out of the context and we use it on its own. And then we, and then we tell people, everybody who asks, receives. So you just got to ask God. Like if you love God, if you're being obedient to God, you're sort of like right with Him right now. And if you have enough faith, you need to ask and you will receive whatever you want. And oh, by the way, if you're not receiving it, it means that you don't have enough faith. So start working on that. Build up your faith and then ask again. You see, we, we can so easily take this out of context and use it to promote the prosperity gospel. Now, why are people turned off? Why do people get spiritually burned out? I submit it's because of that. Because in maybe very explicit ways or in very subtle ways, people are told that God has a lot of good things for you, You've got problems, you've got issues, there are things that you need in life, things that you're walking through, and if you just get things right with God, and you sort of like line yourself up with His channel of blessings, He's about to just knock, like just pour down as many things as you can imagine into your pocket. And you can have now whatever you want. And so then, people start doing the right thing, they're obedient, they start going to church every week, they get a Christian t-shirt, they start listening to Christian music, get like one of those little fish that they put on their car, and they do that for a while. They're asking, they have a powerful prayer life, they're asking all the time. And then tragedy strikes. They don't get what they're asking for. A child dies. A marriage falls apart. And they turn and they say, God, you said you would give me whatever I want. I have done my part. I have been faithful. I've been obedient. I've got the fish on the back of my car. What more do you want from me? Now this? And they walk away. They walk away from, from that understanding. They walk away from church. They walk away from this, this idea. And then they, and they, and they re, now reinvent a new image of God that they like better. Listen, God does not give us everything that we ask for. Even, even the... The, the, the saints in the Scriptures did not receive everything that they asked for, which we'll talk about in just a little bit. This context right here is so extremely important to understand what this passage is about. In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus tells a parable of a sower who's sowing seed And some of the seed is thrown onto stony, rocky ground. It springs up quickly. Do you guys know this parable? 
springs up quickly, the sun comes out, and the plant is scorched and dies. Why? Because there's no roots. There's no roots. So what are these stones? What are the, what are the rocks? Well, we see it right here. When we, when we extract this and we say, um, we, let me give you an example. We take this out of the Sermon on the Mount and we remove it from store up treasures in heaven, not on earth. We remove it from that and we place it in and of itself and now it becomes treasure about your treasures on earth. This is rocky soil. There is no sense of treasuring the deep, beautiful, rich soil of Christ. There's nothing there. It's a foundation which won't last. So that is a person, that is an individual who has done certain things, believes certain things so that they can get certain things and the, the, then the, the, the scorching sun of suffering and trials comes out and they wither. There's nothing there. This is addressed to the citizens of the kingdom who have entered through that first beatitude of poverty of spirit of saying I have nothing I am entirely dependent on Christ their eyes are focused on heaven not on earth they're treasuring the things of heaven not treasuring things of earth that's who this is addressed to so with that what I want to do is kind of frame then the rest of this through talking about um, seven different things that we should pray for directly from this sermon on the mount so extracting Seven things from the Sermon on the Mount that can help frame and guide our prayer lives. Number one, pray that your daily, daily needs will be met. We are actually commanded to do that. So pray that your daily needs will be met. What do you need today? You need food on the table. Pray for it. Pray for it. Pray that your daily needs will be met. And let me say this, and we've talked about this more in depth. You can go online and listen to this sermon, but generally speaking, God meets our daily needs. Now, there are times that he will use us as an example, and we will suffer for, for his good and for his sake. Generally speaking, he meets our daily needs. He, meaning this, he keeps us alive. Somebody has kept you, like you're alive today. You're sitting here. So pray that God will just meet your needs today, that he, he will give you the strength to get through today. Number two, second thing to pray for, pray that the gospel is clearly presented and preached. Now, that's not something that uh, we typically think of, but we are told to pray that the kingdom come to Baltimore and to the world as it is in heaven. That is the proclamation and the going forth of the gospel message of Jesus Christ. Pray that the gospel is clearly preached throughout the week, on Sundays, in other churches in Baltimore. I ask that you guys pray for me. Like every Sunday, I stand here and just kind of talk. And in many ways, I'm standing between eternity and like real souls. And I'm talking about the good news of Jesus. Pray that we clearly communicate that here so that this life-changing power of the gospel will be heard. Number four, or I'm sorry, number three, pray for maturity of Christians in Baltimore. Pray that the church in Baltimore will be strong, that we will become salt and light as we have been commanded to here in the Sermon on the Mount, that we will have an impact in this city, that we will trade our stinginess for generosity, that we will trade our anxiety for a peace that passes all understanding, that we will trade our judgmentalism for love. Number four, pray that sinners may repent and be saved. Pray for that. Pray that the gospel will penetrate and invade the lives of those who don't know Jesus. Number five, pray for opportunities for your own personal evangelism. Pray that God gives you an opportunity to share. So you're facing a problem right now. You're facing an issue, let's say, at work. So instead of just simply praying that that issue is resolved, begin to pray, God, show me ways that I can use this for my own personal evangelism so I can share with, with people the hope that I have that passes far beyond my job. Number six, pray for each other. Like, look around. Everybody just look around really quick. Good. Pray for each other. We are commanded as a local church to pray for each other. One of the tools that we use here, this, is, this right here is the most important book next to the Bible, all right? 
the membership direct. This is faces, and these are names of people that sit here, that, that, that some are gone right now and at home and are on missions. Uh, pray for the people that, that come and that you're united with here as brothers and sisters. Look, I go through this regularly. You can see I, I've got, it's all marked up. Some of your faces are circled because I really wanted to pray for you. And there's, when I hear of a request, I'll write it down next to you. In the back, I've got notes. I mean, use this as a tool to go through and pray for each other. If you don't know someone well, just simply pray, God, uh, help them to be faithful. Uh, pray a prayer that you've been praying for yourself, that you can pray for them. Pray for each other in the back, on the very back page of this. Um, I think, yes, there it is. We've got children. that we can, You can pray for the kids that, that are here in Sprouts and in the nursery. Um, on the very back page, we've got staff, elders, deacons, or those serving the church in different ways, missions. Listen, pray for each other when you pray. Ask, seek, knock. Now, lastly, number seven, pray for the world. Remember that life is not just about our own little bubble. We serve a global God. John Stott the pastor theologian went to uh, a village in England and spent some time there. It's a famous story that he tells. And he spent some time at this village church in England. And uh, while he was there, he often heard them talking about the concerns of the village, prayer for the village. And it always stopped at the village. And he said after some time, he finally realized that he's at a village church and they believe in a village God. Now sometimes, um, I don't know if in our private individual lives that we can even go that far. Sometimes I think we believe in an individual God. When we pray, that's the only thing we can think of is us, our needs, our concerns, our worries. Guys, pray for the village. Pray for Baltimore City. But let's not even just stop there. Let's pray for the world. Pray that the gospel is made known to those who have never heard the name of Jesus. Pray for those suffering in extreme poverty. Pray that people go forward to, to be the hands and the feet of Jesus, to, to love our neighbors in this world. So that's going to sort of frame now the rest of this time together right now. These are the things that we need to be praying for extracted from the Sermon on the Mount. Now, as we do this and as we serve this global God, this King who has invited us to come and knock on His door at any time, I want to point out five promises that we receive here in these verses. Promise number one, God hears the prayers of the persistent. Nothing in this language indicates an immediate receiving. The, the word asking, it implies that there's, there's this continual ask, something that we don't have, something that we, we are currently, there's, there's a loss there and something we need. Attached to that, receiving. It implies that God will give it to us. Seeking. This implies that there's something that we cannot see and touch with our eyes and with our hands. But finding indicates that we will. That we will see it and touch it, whatever it is. Knock. Knocking. Spurgeon says knocking implies that there's a door, but not a wall. You see, doors have hinges. Doors open. So there's currently a door. There, it means there's something that's closed, something that we don't, we can't just bump into it right now or we'll bump into the door. There's a sense now of persistence, of faithfulness, of knocking and trusting that this is not a wall but a door with hinges and that doors open. So first, God hears the prayer of the persistent. Now, why should we pray? What we see here is we don't just simply pray because it works. We're not just like to go into this as pragmatic individuals, and if it works, I'm going to do it. If it doesn't work, I'm not going to do it. 
I want, I want to say this. The first reason we pray, the reason like this afternoon that you might go and get on your knees and, and ask and seek and knock, it's first and foremost primarily because Jesus told us to. Like Jesus wants us to pray. He wants us to ask. This is the king that says, come and knock. Like, I want you to be knocking on my door. I want you to be seeking after me. But we also see in here that there is truly a sense in which prayer does work, quote unquote. That God actually uses prayer for his purposes. Two examples of this. In the book of Luke, chapter 22, this is shortly before Jesus goes to the cross, and Simon Peter, one of his disciples, is um, about to deny him three times. And Jesus says to, to Simon Peter, he says, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. Now imagine you're hanging out with Jesus, and Jesus says something like that. All right? Wow! That would be a little scary. Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. And Jesus knew that he was going to be denying him. He says this. So this is Jesus, God in the flesh. Jesus says, he's asked to sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you. So God in the flesh, praying for Peter, that your faith may not fail. And then he says this, and when you turn back, strengthen your brothers. Not like if you turn back, but I've prayed for you, Peter, and when you turn back, like after you're after you're sifted, after you doubt, after you deny, when you turn back, listen, remember this. When you turn back, strengthen your brothers. Now, why was Jesus so confident that Peter was going to turn back? It's because he prayed for him. He prayed for him. Later, Peter, the same dude, after Jesus' death and resurrection and ascension, he's with the early church, they're being persecuted, Peter's put in jail. And in the book of Acts, chapter 12, Peter's in jail, his friends are at home praying for him. Praying for his safety, praying, maybe he's released. And as they're praying, there's a knock at the door. And they're too busy praying for Peter. So the servant girl goes over to answer the door. She comes back into the room and says, Peter's at the door. And they say, girl, you're crazy. Let's get back to praying for Peter. And he's, he's standing out there. He knocks again. And then he comes in, and they are amazed. Guys, this happens to us all of the time. We're praying. When God answers, our response is always amazement. And listen, let, let us not be, feel guilty for that. I, I believe, I think, that's one of the reason God, reasons God wants us to pray, so that he can amaze us, so that he can answer our prayers, so that he can reassure us of our faith in him. Now listen, I believe that God is a completely sovereign God, control in every way, and I delight in in that knowledge. At the same time, I am not a fatalist. Meaning this, God is not like a watchmaker who sort of puts everything together and then these little intricate pieces just start ticking along lifelessly. But rather, God has created in his sovereignty a dynamic universe in which his sovereign and secret will is accomplished through him changing situations based on the cries and prayers of his children. He, ha he uses us and our prayers to accomplish his sovereign purposes in this world. And so we pray, so we ask, so we seek, and so we knock, so that God, this, this passionate pursuit of God, knocking on the doors, the chambers of heaven, so that he may open those doors. This passage comes to us like a breath of fresh air throughout the journey in this dark world. Second promise is this, if you look at the text. 
verse 9 and 10. Which one of you, he says, if his son asks, for, asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? The, the second promise is that God is our Father. Now, Jesus is repeating this, this aspect of God's fatherhood in our lives over and over and over. Like, he's your father. Don't forget that. He's your father. Why? It's because we have really thick skulls and we forget this. We forget that God is our father. The, the doctrine of substitutionary atonement, we're like, yeah, we get that. The doctrine of the Trinity was like, yeah, I can't quite understand it, but I believe it, I get it. What we, I think, struggle to believe what we struggle to fully grasp onto is the, the doctrine that God is our Father. That He's our Father. Maybe it's because some had bad dads. And we struggle with that idea of Father, period. Maybe it's because some had bad experiences with church, warped views of God that you grew up with. And there's a lot of reprogram that, reprogramming that needs to take place. God is your Father. Jesus is repeating that and He wants you to hear that. In Ephesians chapter 1, it says that you, God determined before grass ever sprung up, before a tree ever sprouted and grew in this world, God determined that He would adopt you. Like specifically and personally, He knew you. And He said, that one's mine, and that one is going to be my son. That one is going to be my daughter. God is our Father, and when we pray, we are reminded of that every time. He wants to feel the grip of your little hand as He walks with you through this life. Number three, promise number three, God will never be cruel Look at verse 11. He says, If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? God will never be cruel. My, my kids um, love to ask for food. They're really good at asking for food. Now, imagine if I as the Father went into the kitchen, they're hungry, let's say they haven't eaten all day, we've been out doing things, and uh, so they're starving and asking for food. And so I go into the kitchen, and I take an hour preparing something, and then I call them in, and, and the table's nicely set, we sit down to eat dinner, and I place their plate in front of them, and there are stones on the plate. And I'm like, go ahead and eat it. Go ahead, stick it in your mouth. And, and they're just like looking at me like, are you serious? you doing this right now? And I'm like, you serious? You're doing this right now? You're not going to eat my food? Then they start crying and I just laugh. Now, what he's saying is this. What father, when their kid asks for bread, would actually give him a stone? He says, you who are evil, meaning you who are broken, you who are in the flesh, you're sinful, you are sin-bent. We have enough common grace in this world to where even you who are evil know that that's kind of a cruel thing to do to your kid. Like, you wouldn't do that. So he's saying, listen, how much more? How much more would God? God will never be cruel to us. Listen, some of you right now are in, in, a, in a situation and you believe, you're looking at what you feel God has given you and you're looking and you're like, he, he gave me a stone. Faith is, not, faith is not being driven by what we can see and what we can touch. Faith is being driven by what we hear. And what we hear right now, the promise that we hear is that God will not be cruel to you. And so as we are facing our life, and as we are facing the darkness that surrounds us, what we know is that this God is a good Father, and He will not be cruel. Now I'm going to connect that and further explain that with the fourth promise. Fourth promise is this, that all of God's gifts given to us are good gifts. We see that right there in verse 11. He who is in heaven, He gives good things to those who ask him, ask him, all of God's gifts are given to us as good things. James 1.17 says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, 
coming down from the Father of lights of whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. God gives good gifts and he loves to give us good gifts and good things. Now because of that, God has not prepared, he is not prepared to give us anything that is not good or that would not ultimately be good to us. Remember, we are to be people who have eyes set on the treasures in heaven, not on earth. And God will give us gifts that enhance our treasures in heaven, not on this earth. He is not prepared to give us anything that is not good for us. I can only speak of my own life. I am thankful that God has not given me in life everything that I've ever asked for. Wild, crazy success and fame, which would lead to pride. A lot of money, which would lead to self-complacency. You're asking God to give you success at your job, and He hasn't yet delivered. Maybe the worst thing He could do for you would be to answer that request and place you in a situation where you no longer have to rely on Him. You no longer have to cry out to Him. Asking God for popularity, asking God to be liked, He hasn't seemed to give that to you. And maybe the worst thing He could do would be to answer your request and, and create, create a life for you where you receive praise from mankind and you forget God. You see, God only gives us good things. Even the heroes of our faith asked for things and God did not give it to them because there was something better for them. As an example, Paul, the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 8, he has a thorn in his flesh and he says in verse 8, he says, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take this thorn from me. Like three, like I have been persistent. I've been asking, seeking, knocking. I have been persistent. Three times I have begged of the Lord to take this thorn, to remove this thorn from my flesh. And he hasn't. And then God responds, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Meaning, listen, Paul, you have a strength right now that you know nothing of. You have, you have grace. You're experiencing grace. You're experiencing power that you would know nothing of had you not been given that thorn. I have something better for you and for the, for the sake of the gospel going forward. I have something better for you than simply removing the thorn and answering that request. Now, why in this moment was Paul's faith not scorched, fizzled out like, like, like the plant on the rocky soil? Like the individual we talked about earlier who doesn't get what they want and then they just fizzle away. Why? It's because Paul has his eyes fixed not on things in this world, but on treasures in heaven. Like he's, he, this for him is placed in the context of the greater sermon on the mount. He understands God's purposes and God's, God's ways, God's, and he's moving toward the face of Christ as his treasure. And he understands that the temporal things in life is not all there is. And so he trusts that God is a good Father who only gives good gifts. Now, number five promise, the fifth promise, is that God will never make a mistake. He will never make a mistake in your life. Now, where is this in the passage? It's, 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 it's in the broader definition of God as our good Father, God as our perfect Father. Now, earthly fathers make a lot of mistakes. I, as an earthly dad, have made a lot of mistakes in my fatherhood. I have 
left a baby girl in the car. I have given them donuts when I should not have. Sorry, Jess. I've placed soda in their sippies. Just kidding on the soda part. I know you were hoping that I was kidding on the leaving them in the car part. <laughs> that happened. Child Protective Services not in the room right now. Headlines, pastor arrested after sermon. Child Protective Services visiting church. Listen, earthly dads, like, we make a lot of mistakes. We, an earthly father is a mere representation of the Heavenly Father. So, meaning this, if you take all of, the, all of my good, all, all, all of the good from your, your dad, if you sort of extract that good, all the goodness, the good things that we did, the nice things that we said, the, the things that we gave you that were right, that is like a, a small glimpse into the goodness of God. You see, we are just a mere representation of the Father. God is the perfect Father who always does what's right. He is holy. He is infinitely holy, meaning He forever knows the difference between right and wrong, between evil and good, and He will never make a mistake in your life. Now, how is this encouraging to you? Let me explain this. The difficulties that we are facing in life, the difficulties that you may be walking through right now, the darkness that you're walking through in this world, the thorn that is in your flesh that you have begged God to remove, and He hasn't. He's left it there. It's still there in your flesh, and you feel it. God has not made a mistake in your life, He's not made a mistake. You see, the, the greatest, I think, the greatest promise that we have in the Scriptures is this. All things work together for good to those who love Him. This is like the, the great uh, judo chop move of God's love in that He takes what's the, the enemy that's coming our way, the, the, the destruction, the difficulties, the problems, the trials, and every time in some way, God in His love and in His sovereignty and in His mercy turns that for good in our lives. So even the greatest tragedies that we walk through are not a mistake. It's part of God's secret will for your life and He will bring out something good. Listen, friends, those of you walking through difficult times right now, God has not made a mistake with you. He knows where you are on this journey. He's doing something in your life. He's teaching you something. You see, prayer is being entirely dependent on God. It's throwing ourselves completely into His arms. Utter dependency. I want you to close looking at these verbs with me. Ask, seek, knock. When we ask, we receive. When we seek, we find when we knock the doors opened, listen, these are not the, the, the active verbs of naming it and claiming it. This isn't something that we're doing just to get at what we want. Some way to pray, some faith to pray with, and if we can pray with enough sort of active naming and claiming, then we can receive the things that we want. Haddon Robinson, a preacher, tells a story of a game that he used to play with his kids. So he would have a penny in his fist and the kids would pry his fingers off one at a time and, and, and finally they would get the, get the hand open. And once his hand was open, they finally pried off the fingers. They would grab the penny and he said every time they would grab the penny they would run away. Now, fun game to play with your kids. But do you see how we often do that in our prayer life with God? Like how much of our prayer life is this? It is these sort of active naming, claiming, if I can have enough faith, if I think enough, if I, if I can sort of, 
If I'm obedient enough, if I'm moral enough, I can sort of pry open the fingers of God so that I can get what's in His hand. So that I can get the pennies that are in His hand. So I can place myself in such a way to start receiving treasures on this earth. Now what happens when we pry open His fingers and we receive the treasures on this earth, we get exactly what we want. We turn and we run. Because it was really never about Him. This is the kind of person who can go to heaven and be fine with Jesus not being there. We really just wanted the stuff. We wanted the nicer life. We wanted the mansion. We wanted the streets of gold. We wanted the easy life. We wanted our best life now. We want the stuff that's in His hand. And so we pray and we pry away to get the stuff. Do you see how utterly different the Sermon on the Mount is? With our eyes firmly focused not on treasures on the earth, but in treasures in heaven, what we want when we pray, when we depend on God, is not just the stuff, but it is an act of falling into His grace, love, and mercy. It, prayer is an act of dependency on God. How do we become a citizen of the, this kingdom? It's not through prying away at the fingers. It's not through paperwork, citizenship paperwork, proving that you have some prior connection. We become citizens of this kingdom through the gateway of that first beatitude. Poor in spirit. Poverty of spir spiritual brokenness. Like I'm spiritually bankrupt. Why? Because the kingdom requires perfection. And what we realize as we're listening to the Sermon on the Mount, as we're walking through life, is how far we are from the requirements of the kingdom. And we say we have nothing. We are spiritually broke. I've got nothing to offer. I have no reason. I don't, I don't deserve to be in the kingdom. And then we see Christ. And we see how Christ was our perfection for us. We see how Christ was that citizen that went before us that earned our way into the kingdom. And through His life, we've been gifted His righteousness. Through His death and resurrection, through His blood, we have access into the kingdom because we have the forgiveness of God through Christ. And so then we enter the kingdom. Poverty of spirit. Spiritual brokenness. I have nothing. I just I come naked before you and I bow myself before the king and that is the requirement. It's nothing. We turn to Christ and we find all that we need. And now that is prayer. Prayer is a daily turning to Christ, falling into Him, utter confidence in Christ, utter dependency on Christ, saying, look, if you drop me, I'm falling. You are all I have in this world. And friends, when we enter into the presence of God and we pray, we ask, looking at the treasures in heaven, and we receive, we seek, we find, we knock, at the door, who is Christ? Our access point, our entry point into the kingdom. We knock, and friends, the door is always opened to us. The door is opened, and the blessings of God shower us because of Christ. We seek first Christ. We seek first this kingdom. He is our treasure. He is our priority. What He wants is what we want. What He sees is the way that we want to see things. We seek first the kingdom. And then everything else is simply added to it. 
The door of Christ is flooded open and we find our treasure. Ask and it shall be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and the doors of Christ will be open to you with a bounty that you cannot imagine. May we fall into the grace of Jesus Christ. May we fall into His life. May our eyes be fixed not on the things of this world and our temporary wants and desires, but may our eyes be fixed on the eternal treasures in heaven. And may we ask all things and in God's will receive. May God move in our hearts so that we can become a people of prayer a people of utter dependency on our Lord and our God. Amen. Let's pray. Father, you are all that we have. You have sent your Son into this world to die for us, to take on our brokenness, to live a life on our behalf, because he, our brother, has broken down the barrier that was the law that convicted us of our sin but did not save us. God, he gave us access through his blood. We thank you for that gift. We thank you for the fact that you told us in, in Ephesians 1 that before creation ever even came about that you chose to adopt us as your sons and as your daughters. What an encouragement that is to us. God, let us, as your adopted children, see you as our good Father who always does what's right, who never makes a mistake. God, the reality that there are people in this room right now who are suffering, who are facing obstacles in life. The, the uh, journey through the dark is very relevant to them as they feel that they are in the dark right now. God, uh, I pray that they are reminded that they are holding the hand of the Creator and that while they don't see, you see and that they just simply trust, that they trust your hand, that they trust your steps and even when things don't make sense, that they look to you, they see the face of their Savior, Jesus Christ. Keep us, Lord, and bring us home. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.